0: Today's message is entitled, Alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. So if I am alive in Christ, then maybe I'm dead to something else. What could that be? We're gonna read that. So let's look at Romans chapter six, begin with verse number one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin Flashing lights, there it is, dead to sin. How are we how shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Under grace, under grace. So the dangers, I guess in this day of t- in time, the dangers of preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, could possibly lead to a misinterpretation as a license to just do whatever I want to do because I'm taken care of. I'm saved. I'm sealed. I can just do whatever I want to do. Do we ever sometimes justify the sin in our lives? Well, God will forgive me. It'll be okay. I know that no matter what, I'm going to heaven. And again, this was a problem all the way back in biblical times. And that's why Paul spent so much time trying to help us and them understand what it means to be in Christ. Because we put our own spin on it and we try to understand it sometimes separately from what the Bible says. And if we find a good explanation for things and it sounds right and other people seem to understand it and agree with it, we'll choose that to be our gospel instead of the actual gospel. So it's so important, and Paul knew this, and that's why he addressed it over and over again in his, in his writings. And he was well aware of the tendency to think that grace was a license to just live any way you wanted to. He mentioned in Romans chapter 3, verse 8, he said that people were reporting this, why not do evil so that good may come? Why not do evil so that good may come? He was always on guard when he made a strong statement about the grace of God because he knew that people were going to misunderstand it and people were going to put their own spin on it. Still happens today. So when he said in Romans chapter 5 verse 20, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more he knew what some people would make of that. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the way the mind works, well, if grace abounds where sin abounds, then let's sin some more so grace can abound some more. Can you see how people would get that idea? And so he he tried to he he put the Barney 5 spin on it and he tried to nip it in the bud because they were saying, well, if sin brings more grace, then let sin more. And so what he did, um, let me see if I can find my place. I'm jumping ahead of myself just a little bit here. Um, he he knew that that that's the way people would think logically, and not just logically, but naturally because people enjoy sin. And if they can find a way to get by with sin and being able to sin and understand that they're under the grace of God, they're going to do it because sin is enjoyable for a season. That's what we learn in the book of Hebrews. And he, he knew too that some people were, were saying that sinning is the religious duty of Christians so that grace could abound. Now, how twisted is that? Sinning is our religious duty. That's crazy. Let's sin more so that grace can abound more, so that God can be glorified more. Do you see how twisted that is? And not just in biblical times. We see this in, in, in I don't want to say very recent history, but I don't know how many of you have heard of the Russian monk Rasputin. You probably heard his name or studied him at some point in time. This is what he thought. He thought that salvation came through repeated experiences of sin and repentance. That's how salvation came. And he argued that because those who sin more require more forgiveness, those who sin greatly will experience greater joy as they repent. And he said that it is the Christian duty to sin. It's not the Christian duty to sin. It is, the, it is the curse. It's not a duty, it's a curse. So in Romans chapter five, verse 20, when he said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, he knew what would happen. And so he started Romans chapter six with a question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answered that in the first part of verse uh, number two, absolutely not, by no means. And then he finished up by saying, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then the remainder of chapter 6 tries to explain that. So Romans chapter 6 tries to answer the question, how do those of us who have been saved by the grace of God live without being characterized by sin? And how are we to live obediently in light of God's grace? How are we to live obediently in light of God's grace? And Paul was a logical fellow. And so he spent that, the rest of that, that chapter, first of all, helping us understand our union with Christ, helping us understand it, then telling us that we need to accept it. not just understand it, but accept it which is what so many people have a problem with today. I hear what you're saying, but I can't imagine why he would do that for me. Or I, I hear what you're saying, but I can't imagine that that's what's taking place because of how I still live my life. But he said, understand it and accept it. And then he said, submit to it. Submit to it. So we're going to talk about that for these next few minutes because Paul felt like it was important for us to know what has happened to us. Now, will we understand everything completely? I don't think so. I don't think so until we are face-to-face with Christ Will we get a full understanding and realization. Until then, we're going to try to understand it and, and, and study it and just accept that it's truth. I mean, there are so many things in Scripture that I don't understand, but I accept that it is true, okay? And because the word of God is the only truth we have. What's your response to that? The word of God is the only truth we have. Amen, absolutely, amen. So let's look at, first of all, how he's trying to help you and me and the people in biblical times and anybody else that reads this understand our union with Christ. If I asked you a question, what, what is this union that you have with Christ, what is it? How would you answer that question? What is this relationship that you have with this Jesus Christ? Explain that to me. How did it, how did it happen? How did it come about? And a lot of us are gonna stumble through that. Well, I went to church and, and I went to the altar and swallowed real hard and I prayed and uh, he came into my life and I'm going to heaven, and you know, that's, that's a very simple way of saying it, and it's not wrong, but you know what? There's more to it than that, and that's what was important to Paul. He wanted you and me to understand what that meant, and he, he felt that what a Christian understands and knows is extremely important, and I believe that too because we are in a world that needs to hear about Jesus, and I heard on the radio on the way to church this morning, someone who is running for office say that we have a world that wants nothing to do with Jesus. They want to indoctrinate our children. They want to they want to they want to ruin everything that we have worked so hard for. And and everything that was built on the foundation of biblical principles and truth. They want to destroy all of that. So we need to understand what's going on, what has happened, so that we can relay that to other people as well. Um, he wants to increase our knowledge. Paul wants us to know what has happened. And so he, he, there's three very important words that I want to point out in the verses that we read. And the first word is this. It's no. K-N-O-W. That's the key word in verses one through 10. And he uses it in verse three, verse six, and verse nine. He says, know ye not, or, or do you not know, in some translations. And then in verse six and verse nine, he says, we know. In some transla- It says knowing, in some translations, it's we know. So that know is important. It is an important word. He wants us to know he wants us to understand the nature of our union with Jesus Christ. And to help us understand that union, he uses a powerful metaphor. He uses the metaphor of Christian baptism. Christian baptism. Now, I want to share a little story with you that maybe will help us understand this. So there was a pastor on the West Coast, and he was conducting a baptism service at the Pacific Ocean. And he had a woman to approach him and she had a nine-year-old daughter and she wanted her daughter to be baptized. And he was reluctant because he wanted the little girl to understand what it meant to be baptized, what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And so he began to question her and ask, ask her questions. And as he talked with her, I don't have a good shadow here, but as he talked with her, he used his hand to make gestures. And he got an idea. And he said, do you see the shadow of my hand down there? And she said, yes, I do. And he said, that is just a shadow. The hand is the real thing. When you came to Jesus, you were joined to him. And what happened to him happened to you. That's the union. What happened to Jesus happened to you. And that's what these verses are trying to help us understand. What happened to Jesus happened to you. Jesus was alive, then he died, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. And that is what happened to you when you believed in him. Have you thought about it that way? Has it been explained to us that way? Have we heard it, but we didn't quite get it? what happened to him happened to us. And so he pointed to that shadow of his hand. He says, when you go down in the water and you're raised up again in baptism, that's a picture of what has already happened. That's a picture of what has already happened. Okay. So what happened to him happened to you and happened to me. Baptism, symbolizes what happens to us when we are united to Christ Jesus by faith. You look at verses three through five, we're not going to read those again, but as you read those verses, you there's an overall emphasis um, on the profound our profound identity with Christ. Baptism bears with it the idea of union, okay? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, we read these words. The Israelites were all baptized into, into Moses. Does anybody remember reading those words? Are those familiar to anybody? Is that ringing a bell for anybody? The Israelites were all baptized into Moses. Explain that to me. What does that mean? I thought we were baptized as a symbol of what has happened to us in Christ. We've got to remember that, that Moses, back in the day, Jesus wasn't around. So what was it? Did, did Moses save them? No. But this is what that meant. It gave with it the idea of a union, okay? And so it's not a reference to water baptism when they're talking about being baptized into Moses. What they're talking about is the fact that they became united with him as never before as they recognized his leadership and their dependence on him. And that's the same way with us in Christ. When we were baptized, we entered into a profound union with him. Now, the text uh, here in verse number five is emphasizing that union, and it uses a term, a, a plant term or a botanical term in verse number five. It's, it talks about how um, they, we have become planted together with him or united with him. And it's given us the idea of a branch that is bound to another branch and grafted together. And that's the idea that we see in this verse, and it is describing our union with Christ, and this union is affirmed throughout Scripture. We 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 have a mental picture of I don't know I don't know if you see it this way or not, but we say things like I opened up my heart to Jesus Christ, and don't you just have this mental picture of just like whoosh, doing that right there, and He's like. Whoosh, When he comes in, and then you're like you hold him in as tight as you can so he won't go away. Do you get that kind of a a picture? What they're showing here is it's like being grafted together, and there's a union, and it's a powerful union, and it's given to us throughout scripture. I'm gonna read some scripture very quickly here. Galatians one twenty seven, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So it talks about that's how close our union is. It's almost like we're clothed with him. That's pretty close. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. That's a profound union that it speaks of right there. And there's one uh, commentator, I read this uh, in a commentary, and I like what he said. He said, our spiritual history began at the cross. We were there in the sense that in God's sight, we were joined to him who actually suffered on it, crucified with Christ. The time element shouldn't disturb us. That was 2,000 years ago. We're saved now. We got saved here and the, here and now. But what happened 2,000 years ago, we were a part of that in our union with Christ. Uh, If we sinned in Adam, that's what Scripture tells us, if we sinned in Adam, then it is equally possible that we died to sin with Christ. And hopefully as he explains these things, it becomes a little more clear what we're talking about here. So we don't have to be conscious of it, okay? We don't have to be conscious of it any more than we're conscious of participating in Adam's sin But it's a fact. We are united with Christ. We are united with Christ. and That union cannot be severed and cannot be broken, okay? So he said the specific emphasis of verses three through five in Romans chapter six is that we are so profoundly united with Christ in his death and resurrection that we actually did die with him and truly were raised with him so that we now share in his resurrection life. Now these are, this is straight from Romans chapter six. And I don't know if it is making any more sense to you that you were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. Now, Galatians 2.20 says that, I have been crucified with Christ, but it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians chapter three, verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And these are the things that we need to understand. When we understand that we have that profound union with Christ, does it not help us to want to be and to be able to be obedient to Christ, because we understand, as we're going to find here in a few minutes, that we're dead to sin now that we are alive in Christ. That 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 little voice that tells you that you can't help it, I can't help it. I just have to do it. I can't stop doing it. That's a lie. It's a lie from, from the pits of hell, from the father of lies, because Christ in you gives you the ability and the power to say no sin. And that's what he wants us to understand. So what this means is that Christ did not serve sin. So neither do we. We don't serve sin either. And what we do is we walk in newness of life that we have in Christ. We are brand new. We are new creations in Christ. We are not what we were, slaves to sin, but we are new we are now slaves to what? You remember? Righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. And then we get into verse number six and verse number seven. And what those verses tell us, and that what I just said, is that our old self, the old self is the kind of person that we were before our union with Christ. That self has been crucified with Christ the body of sin, the body, that, the body as it was, has been rendered inoperative and the power of sin has been broken. And that's what happened when Christ died on the cross. And that's what happens when we are in union with Christ, when we open up our lives to Christ, when we accept his perfect salvation when we profess him as Lord and Savior in our lives, then the power of sin is broken and we are united with him and we are no longer a slave to sin, but we are a slave to righteousness. That'll make more sense here in just a few minutes. And so he concludes in verses eight through 10, um, he he emphasizes that, that when Christ died, he died once for all. He died once for all. And we see that repeated in Scripture as well, especially in the book of Hebrews, to emphasize the finality of Christ's work. It is a finished work. There is nothing left to be done to sin. Sin has been conquered. He is the one who conquered sin. We are no no longer under law, but under grace. And being grafted with him, being in union with him, Having the one who conquered sin within us, we are able to no longer we are able to no longer be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And he will no longer be under the power of sin and death. And so in dealing with this problem of people who were trying to turn grace into an opportunity to sin more, he insists that we have, to, um, we have to have this knowledge. I'm going to try to make this very clear, as clear as I can. First of all, we have to know something, that word know. We have to know something of our profound union with Christ. And though we may not fully understand it, and though I may not have done a stellar job of trying to explain it, though we don't understand it, we accept that it is true. We died with Christ and we were resurrected with him because what happened to him happened to us and that's, a, and that's what baptism is a symbol of. And secondly, the shared death and resurrection means that the dominance of sin has been broken and we have been freed from the power of sin in our lives. Alive in Christ dead to the world, free from the sin that enslaves us. You are no longer a slave to sin. It is a reality that is given to us in Scripture. Live it and accept it and understand it and know it and take it for what it is. And the argument that he was dealing with was that we should continue in sin because we are under grace. That's absolutely false. The reverse is actually true. It is impossible to continue living unchanged when we become a Christian because we have been given a new heart with new desires and we cannot live unchanged. And when we do sin, we know it and we know it's wrong and we don't desire it like we desire the things of God. Now, Scripture says sin is enjoyable for a season. I didn't say you didn't enjoy it but you know that it's not right. And you're living contrary to what he has said about you. You're free from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave to righteousness. So when you enter into that union with Christ through salvation, your lifestyle is affected. Your lifestyle is affected. So what we have to do is know about this union. And then the next thing that he tells us in verse number 11 he wants, this is what he wants us to see. And again, it was so important for Paul to go over these things because he knew how important it was that we know these things. So what we've done is we've considered this truth that Paul is talking about. I've been, you know, uh, what happened to Christ happened to me through the union that we have. Well, how does it work? How does it work in our lives? So we come to the practical application of what he's trying to tell us. And it has to do with the second important word in the scripture that we read today. And that is, depending on which translation you look at, the word reckon or consider. In some translations, King James Version, it will say reckon. In other versions, it will say consider in verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this word reckon or consider, or even in some translations count, count yourself dead, it's one of the most important words in Romans. He uses it 12 different times to help us to to see the, the importance of what has happened to us. And what that gives is the idea of reckoning something to our account. We have to reckon it to our account. The idea is that we are to reflect on our position in Christ. We've heard what you've said. We've heard what you said. Now, how does it work? How does it make a difference? How does it change things? We have to reckon two things to our account, okay? The first one is this, that we are dead to sin. You got to understand that. You are dead to sin. As a Christian, you are dead to sin. That is not who you are anymore. That old self has been crucified. You are dead to sin. Doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning. Doesn't mean that sin isn't going to be attractive to you. But you are dead to it. That is not who you are anymore. It's been changed because of your union with Christ. And now you have to reckon that to your account. But also, you have to reckon, if I'm dead to sin, then I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. What a great tool we have in our toolbox of things that God has given us that when the temptation comes, we can say, I'm dead to that. And we can turn and go the other way. In Christ, we have the power to do that. I'm dead to that. That's not who I am anymore. But what if I do it? Am I still dead to it? Yes, because that is not who you are. And you have the choice and you have the decision to not do it anymore. What we've got to consider is the fact that we participated again. We participated in the events of the cross. You died and you were resurrected with Christ. That's what happens. You have been crucified with Christ. So that's, if you want to look at it this way, that's, that's prevention theology. If I understand that I have died to sin and I'm alive in Christ, that I've been crucified with Christ, then that means I do not have to do this. I do not have to live in sin. I don't have to give in to this because of what's happened. That's not who I am. That is prevention theology. We spend a lot of time with corrective theology What do I do when I sin? What do I do when I sin? How about preventive theology? Let's prevent the sin from happening in the first place. Reflecting on your union with Christ and what has happened will curb sin when you consider yourself dead to sin. And that's something that we need to do all the time because that's what scripture tells us. I'm dead to that. It helps us to make the right choice it helps us to make the better choice. And you know, it's the first command that, that Paul gives in the book of Romans is this. Keep on considering yourself dead to sin. Keep on considering yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Keep it up. Keep doing it. When the temptation comes, and it will, it always does. You know it does. You know your life. I know mine. The temptation is going to come. You got you to gotta, you gotta fight lies with truth you can't help but do this this is you want this this is this is something that you deserve and and you feel like you should do it you should do it but you gotta you gotta you gotta hit it with that but I'm dead to that that's not who I am anymore prevention theology and that brings us to the last point and that is the response how do we respond What's the response to this union that we have with Christ? So he's told us what we have to know about it. He's told us what we need to know about our union. And then he explained the importance of considering it. I know it. Now I'm going to consider it. I'm going to reckon. I'm going to count. I'm going to consider. And now he tells us that we have to act. We need to act. Verse number 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What does that mean? Verse 13 helps us to understand. It gets very clear and very precise, and it gives us two halves of a whole in verse number 13. The first part of 13 says, uh, neither yield thee or do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That's negative. Do not. Do not present your, your members as, as uh, instruments unto unrighteousness. What he's saying there is don't let your tongue, don't let your eyes, don't let your hands, don't let, don't use your feet, don't use any part of yourself or make any part of yourself available to unrighteousness. And be on constant guard against doing this. Don't allow your, you know, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little hands what you do, be careful little feet where you go. You yield, don't yield your members to unrighteousness. If this road leads to sin, take another road. If these eyes are on things they shouldn't be on, look at something else. Don't yield your members unto unrighteousness. And then we get to the positive part of verse number 13, the second part of the, the whole. And it says, but yield, yield yourselves or present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life that's your union, that's what's happened. And you're members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what that means is there's gotta be a surrendering of all that I am to him for righteousness. And I think what it would involve is us thinking or saying something like this right here. God, here I am. I am alive from the dead because of you. I have died with Christ I've been resurrected with Christ. Thank you for the gift of your grace. Now, here is my body, my arms, my legs, my feet, my hands, my mind, my ears, my eyes, my mouth. Take them all that they might be instruments of righteousness and not of sin. So don't yield your members to righteousness, but yield your members to him for. Righteousness. Don't yield your members to unrighteousness. Yield your members to him for righteousness. Now maybe we've done the part where we've like, I don't want to, I don't want to yield any part of myself. I don't want to sin. Maybe we've done that. But have you actually taken the time to say to the Lord, Hey, take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Have we done that? Have you done that? Have I done that? We need to know about our union, we need to consider our union, and then we need to present ourselves because of that union. See, because he has come to live inside of us, he does not force us to do what we don't want to do. We're not like an automaton that has to do exactly what he says. He gives us the desire to do what's right. He puts it in our new heart. Whether we choose to do it or not is up to us. Are we going to yield our members to unrighteousness and sin? Or are we going to yield our members to righteousness? Are we considering ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ? Because that's what it is. We like to say, I'm saved. I've been redeemed. I've been covered by the blood. I've been bought by the blood of the lamb and those things are good and powerful and right and important but when it comes to using that and having an understanding of what that means on a day-to-day basis i'm in union with christ i've been crucified with christ he he was he was crucified buried and rose again and the same thing has happened to me and i am dead to sin and i am alive to him And I don't yield myself to unrighteousness, but I offer myself to him fully for righteousness. That's preventive theology because when we begin thinking like that, it's not going to be as easy to give in to sin. And you don't want to give in to sin. You know you don't because that's not the desire that He has put in your heart with that new heart that he gave you. So is it any clearer? Has it become more confusing since we've talked about this? Just suffice to say, what Scripture tells you and me is that we are dead to sin, and we don't have to do it, and we don't have to commit it, and we don't have to give in to it, because you've got the God who made everything living inside of you, and He is victorious. He's the victor over sin, death, hell, and the grave, everything, You have him living inside of you. Nothing can touch you unless he allows it. And if he does, it's for a reason and it's for a purpose for his greater glory and for your greater good, believe it or not. So you agreed with me earlier. We made an agreement together that the word of God is the only truth that we have. And if the word of God says that I'm in union with Christ and I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to him and I don't have to yield myself to sin, but I can fully give myself up to righteousness, then it can happen. And we can do that. I want to finish and hopefully make this a little bit more understandable with this illustration here. So there was this young man, and he decided, or actually he was drafted into the Marines during the Korean War, and he came under the control of a very imposing sergeant major. He was a tough guy, and even underneath this guy's leadership, he didn't realize how dominant this man was in his life, because you know when a sergeant major says, uh, attention, and, and Uh, Whatever else that sergeant majors say that those underneath him did it just as quick as they could I mean if he said it they did it. They didn't have any choice. They had to do it And so the day came when he was released from the marines and he had his papers in his hand And as he was walking down the street He stuck his hands in his pockets and he slouched a little bit And he whistled and he realized in his mind all these things if he were caught doing these things By his sergeant major his sergeant it would be trouble for him he knew he would be in trouble. And so as he's walking down the street, as luck would have it, here comes the sergeant major. And immediately, he shot up straight as a, straight as a pin. And he began to swing his arms really high and march in place. And, and his, his back was ramrod stiff. And then he thought, wait a minute. He goes, I'm no longer under his jurisdiction. I'm no longer under his power. In other words, I've kind of died to the sergeant major. And his domination over me, his power over me is history. If he says, if he says, uh, attention, I don't have to do anything because I'm no longer under his power. And so he decided not to yield, not to give in, not to not to march as he normally would in the sergeant major's presence. He didn't do that, but instead what he did is he presented his feet and his hands and his back to his newfound freedom as a former marine because the major couldn't do anything about it. He was no longer under his power. He was free. And that's the picture of what has happened to us in our union with Christ. We are no longer, hear it, under sin's power. We are are free from that. We are dead to that. And we are free and alive in Christ. It is for freedom that we have been set free. That's what scripture says. So I want you to stand this morning. And as you consider your own life, maybe you are in a relationship with Christ. And maybe you have said before that you didn't want to sin and, and you've done your best not to. But have you ever taken that second step in, the, in verse 13 where you said, Lord, all for you. I am all for you. I am all in for you. And help me to remember that I do not have to give in to sin that I'm dead to that and I'm alive in Christ.